Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Kelly Yarbrough, who'll be sitting in for Matt Watson today. Kelly, what's up? How we doing? Thanks for having me. I appreciate you coming by. We're going to talk about socks. Yeah, it's been an exciting little road we've had here the last five years, but I think it's an interesting story. Yeah, and you know, what? for those of you listening, you're going to say, man, we're going to talk about socks, but... Yeah, you are the, uh, I love your title, by the way, you are the CWO, the Chief Wisdom Officer, oh wow, also known as Socrates <laughs> of Sock101.com. Is this all true? This is true. We just um, decided to take a little different approach, even with uh, titles of the company. So like our person that runs our inventory is our Lord of Logistics. Our design team is the designing divas and with a director of ankle art is our head designer. So have a good time. with. What, what else you got? Um, the vice president of everything. Awesome. Okay. Um, we have like sock boss, like a mafia boss, but okay. sock boss. So yeah, everybody seems to have, we got the sock broker. Okay. So yeah, have a good time with it. Make your title something fun that reflects you and your your responsibilities within the company. I like to think at one point I traveled through the position of vice president of awesomeness. Is that what it was? Yeah. VP yeah. of everything awesome. Okay. VP of everything awesome. All right. Uh, yeah. Maybe I, I, maybe I promoted myself to president there. <laughs> so a lot of folks, and you know, before we get too far into this, cause I always forget, you know, this episode of startup hustle is brought to you by fullscale.io, which is the business I own with a guy that's not you, Kelly. It's the other Matt who is um, tied up today. So many people that know me know that I have what my wife calls a sneaker problem. I don't think it's a sneaker problem, but I am a shoe guy. Um, I love gold sneakers. I love just cool shoes, not, not dress shoes. I own like two pairs of dress shoes, but with, um, with shoes come socks. Yeah. I think the, the term for you is sneakerhead is yeah. what they've coined you guys. So, yeah. um, yeah, everything went business casual socks became the new tie for guys. And I think the next step in that evolution is, um, athleisure wear footwear where, being a little more wild and crazy with it is kind of the next step. So I'm with you. So when we talk about the custom socks and the different stuff, like, I mean, basically, all right. So my wife for my birthday gave me a pair of socks and they're blue and they've got my kids faces all over them. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the kind of stuff you guys do, but maybe more so for corporate. Yeah. We started out on the e-commerce side doing kind of that sock of the month club where we mailed you out a funky pair of socks each and every month. Um, business was going good. I got a call late one night after thankfully the operations guy had left and a lady said, I'd like to purchase 3000 pairs of socks. Me being the sales guy and never say no to sales. Absolutely. We can do that for you. She said, there's a problem though. I want to put a logo on it. Still being a sales guy was not going to pass up the opportunity. So we went ahead and stumbled, faked it till we made it basically. And then kind of the, you know, in the back of my mind, the light came on that there's an opportunity here. And 
We were not familiar with the promotional products industry. It's about a $22 billion industry with pins, keychains, anything you can put a logo on. At that time, everything went business casual where socks kind of became the new tie for guys. Nobody was doing a casual crew dress sock in this promotional product space. And we kind of went in there blindly and came out rolling. And it's just been expanding ever since. So three thousand, three thousand pairs. That is that like a is that like a mega order? I mean, uh, is that pretty big? Back then, it was okay. off the charts. Um, I think our largest order to date is one hundred eighty six thousand pairs um, for one specific client. Oh wow! Um, and it's all over the board. People ask who you who do you do socks for? Um, we got a call one day from Pot Shops in Colorado, a company that represented several pot shops in Colorado. Five minutes later, the Next phone call was from a company representing the FBI in Quantico. So from pot shops to FBI. Hopefully and every, the, call, hopefully the calls were not associated with each other. <laughs> but well, so let's back up. Um, Kelly, how the hell do you get in the sock business? Um, that's, that's a funny story. I was in the wireless business for 15 years. I was a master agent for AT&T and, and had sold that part of the business, was looking to do something new, had a partner and some smaller deals who met with Jason Grill and and came back and he's like, hey, I'd like to do, I met these guys and they want to start a sock company. Sure. My first reaction is like, what the heck are you doing wasting an hour out of your life to talk about starting a sock company? And the more we looked at it, um, I kind of looked at my kids who I was paying $20 for Nike Elites, you know, to go out and play basketball in the driveway with no shoes on. And just kind of where the market was going said, hey, we might be on to something. So we decided to go with a crowdfunding route. Let's validate this idea as cheap as possible. Um, we did a Kickstarter campaign with a $30,000 um, level commitment. Um, and we hit that in 18 days, to much to my surprise. So, What were you selling in that? Was that, that more of that sock of the month sock approach? Sock of the month club. Yeah, okay. you would get an extra pair or two, depending on your level of donation. Um, it started to stall at one point. So we said, we'll let, for a significant donation, we'll let certain people design their own sock. And that pushed us over the top. Like I said, we hit that goal in 18 days. And then the problem of, okay, we got to figure out where we're getting socks made and how we go about this process. So let's talk a little more, a little bit more about that. Cause you know, that's, I, I think we all wear socks, but maybe don't really have much of a understanding about, you know, like if you ask me where socks come from, I'd probably say the store um, <laughs> or the internet. Right. So how do you go about sourcing your custom sock business now? No, and well, I want I want the answer to that, but at that but at the point of Kickstarter, I mean, was this was this? Uh, you mentioned something about don't you know not saying no or like figuring stuff out. I think that a lot of us have done that. Um, you know, like hey, here's a big order, and you're like, okay, and we'll figure it out. How to do it. <laughs> I mean, so what was it that raw? Like, I mean, did you have to? So you were trying to boost the Kickstarter to the to completion. And you added the custom component to it? Yeah, we said, hey, maybe people would spend a little more, donate a little more if they had the ability to design their own sock. Sure. Um, and that definitely struck a chord with, with the donation base. And within 45 minutes, we had three of those high-level donations that put us over the top. So, and now what did you have to go through to try to figure out, now at this point, did you even have a source for the socks? We had an idea, but it was, we, we were really behind the eight ball candidly. Um, 
I went to, jumped online, Googled Sock College, um, found, <laughs> found a school at a textile place in North Carolina that actually took you through the process, taught you about knitting sock machines or specific to socks. They only knit socks. So you um, went to Sock College? I literally got on a plane, went out there for about 10 days, um, kind of learned the process, went and visited some mills, and then started making phone calls. Happened to be my IT guy at the time and some other businesses, was from India, knew a, a factory owner over there, and I get on a plane, go to India. We ordered 7,000 pairs of socks to get through the first seven months of Sock of the Month Club. And, you know, we'll see where this thing goes because nobody really trusted us to do smaller side orders. So everybody was going to make us pay up front at that point. Did you lose your ass on that first round of orders? No, surprisingly, we did. Because it sounds it sounds like you were approaching this as if you were unsure. I was very unsure. Okay. I, I wasn't a believer. I, To my dismay, we we made the Kickstarter funding and I still wasn't all in yet. I could not believe that the the excitement over socks. Um, but like I said, we were pretty blessed with timing. The Royals had been in the World Series those mm. two years. Everything had started to shift to business casual. And like I said, socks kind of became the new tie for guys in the workplace. So we were definitely blessed with some good timing. Um, the iHeart socks came out in Kansas City and we had a nice two-year run with those. And um, it just started to snowball from there. So you mentioned something about the Royals. And for those of you that are listening outside of Kansas City, our Major League Baseball team won a world championship in 2015. But um, I know enough about licensing to know that you probably weren't a license to make MLB stuff, or at least at the time you weren't. Is that something else? Is that something you had to learn about and figure out? <laughs> I, I, I may or may not have gotten a letter from MLB sure. regarding yeah. that to yeah. learn that process. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was, we learned those ins and outs real quickly um, as most startups do. And, but there was a whole buzz around Kansas city pride at that time. Yeah. And, and that's what we helped capitalize on. So it helped propel the, the commercial side of the business as well. So I was at the uh, final Royals game of the season yesterday, um, which um, was fun and interesting. And, you know, they, Ned Yost, our manager, who's retiring and now retired. Congrats, Ned. But he talked about, you know, Joel Goldberg inter uh, interviewed him in front of the stadium at the end of the game. And he just he meant, made some comments about, you know, the pride and, you know, seeing what a world championship could do to a city. Um, and, and, and it's, it's so interesting because so much of that seems to have spread. We've had several guests that have referenced that in regards to like Kansas city pride. And there are people that made products related, anything that says KC on it. Um, and you know, you now, but you talk about that potential roadblock with major league baseball licensing. I think most people don't understand how expensive it is to get a major sporting, like a, a league, the franchise, like they want you to make a lot, like yeah. a whole lot. That's a, a different level of commitment than right. we were ready for at that sure, time. Sure, sure. Yeah. And they want to, they want, and they have a whole lot of, uh, I looked into it at one point for, I don't even remember what it was for, but it, I started reading the requirements. I was like, oh my God. And they had some pretty strict 
you know, guidelines. I mean, some of which wouldn't be very friendly for a startup. Like they wanted you to have been around for X amount of time and to commit to printing a very large amount of anything. That could be returned at any time oh. on your dime as well. Oh, they have a, a return policy. Too. Absolutely. Okay. So now with that, it was probably an easier, easier to slide into people wanting to put their own logo. Yeah. It, it just was, you could sell a hundred sock in the months in a day, or you could sell 10,000 pairs to somebody that had a relationship with Google or Facebook sure. or whoever it might be. So really started to shift focus to, to capitalize on that opportunity. Do you still do the sock of the month club or is that something that's kind of like just there, but not maybe not a focal point? Definitely. It's there, but has not been a focal point for about the last two years. The the opportunity um, on the commercial side and promotional products has just been tremendous and led us into socks, now shoes. So we're customizing athleisure wear shoes as well. So I can get the startup hustle gold Absolutely. sneakers that I've wanted for a long, long time. I like that. <laughs> That's my main thing. I love the gold shoes. Um, so do you still have some original clients from the very first batch? Yes. Um, we've got people that have ordered with us six years, you know, so every holiday season they come back and they're ordering a different design for their company. Um, and it's more specifically like the sock of the month. Do we go back to the same design? No. Are there, are there people that have been on that since the inception? Oh yes. Yeah. Um, And that's a little tougher thing to tell them, you know, we're winding down. There's this other side of the business, but yeah, it's, there's people that have been with us almost, I think it's six years, eight months now that since the program first started. Wow. I would imagine that would be something that would be, I would feel would be kind of high churn. Yeah, it is, you know, I mean, your sock eventually drawer gets you, yeah, full. Yeah, and my it, sock drawer is totally full. Right. The wife cuts it off for a few months, but there's always new people entering that. You know, it's yeah. that younger generation coming into the workforce that they can't wear their slides and, and Nike stuff. They actually got to get dressed for work, you know. Is that, a, is that a gift season thing? Big time. Big like, time. hey, here's the sock of the month club for a year. Father's Day, Valentine's Day, and Christmas definitely were the drivers of that business. Okay. All right. Well, that's interesting. So how much does it cost to make a promotional pair of socks? Like for those for those that are listening, and by the way, you can go to, and I don't know which one you want to talk about here, sock101.com or schoolofsock.com. Well, just sock101.com is the, is the promotional product okay. side of things. Um it just depends on the volume, but we can do a run as low as 100 pairs of socks, fully custom designed, toe to tip. So, and that can be an athletic sock, an ankle sock, a casual crew dress sock, basically any type of hosiery we can customize for the clients. I mean, what kind of, like, if I wanted to make some startup hustle socks, just theoretically, I mean, like, what? I mean, 100 pairs probably in that. 10 to $12 range. Okay. That's um, not too bad. And that's fully customized, hang tag, bag, the whole nine yards. A really nice retail presentation sock. And I would imagine that they, you have upsells and downsells or, or, or. Yeah, we can customize the hang tag to put messaging on there. If you want boxes, you know, there's all kinds of different things. We can kit it with other products we offer. Such um, as? Um, like the shoes. The shoes, socks, box has been a huge hit. We just launched it in the last 30 days, and it's it's going to help propel the company for the next five years. So that you said shoes, socks, box. Yeah, customizing so, a box. Okay. To, to so make that's, it a that's full pretty cool. presentation. Yeah. Okay. So that's something that, you know, full scale did. Um, we have these full scale boxes that 
um, are a nice presentation. And, you know, we send books out in them and, and different info and stuff like that. And for some of our, um, our sweet and greet events, we've delivered tickets with them and, and they make a, the, the box is what makes the impression. Yeah. It, um, it definitely yeah. makes it a retail feel like you're getting a, a premium gift or you feel like you're winning something exactly. or just something like that. It makes a good impression. And the way that we, we laid out and designed the boxes was so whether you opened it or not, you saw our brand message. Absolutely. I mean, it says full scale right on it, like down the sides of it. Like there's contact really, well, no, when you open it up, like as you lift the lip up, it'll have the wet, the URL yep. and then just all of it just branded quite effectively throughout. And, you know, those boxes, uh, a box costs as much as, as one of the books that we'll give out on a promo. So same with us. It's yeah. more expensive than the socks we're producing a lot of times, but for on a brand level. So one of the things that, you know, that, so there's a lot of things about the world of sneakers. I, you know, first off, a lot of people don't realize that the sneaker resale business is a $6 billion a year industry. Listen to that again, people reselling new shoes or vent or anything six billion dollars it's a commodity almost it's insane so and with that the sneaker manufacturers have taken a lot of well they they don't make they make a, they have large batch projects uh um, grs as they call them general release and that's the kind of stuff that you go down to Foot Locker and buy and then there are things that they produce on a much smaller batch level, you know, the Yeezy has been a popular shoe and just different flavors and types of Jordans. But the, the cross collaboration between brands has been really, really popular. And you even see, and for those of you that are fans of the entrepreneur, like even Gary Vaynerchuk has his own, I think it's a K-Swiss or something like that. I don't know. I can't remember, but he has his own line of shoes, but it, Based on that and that that specific, all right. So I used to work for Roland, the musical instrument manufacturer. They have a very uh, they have a very well known product called the 808. I have some Roland 808 shoes, and just different stuff that if you want to generate a sense of pride around your brand, um, it's a really effective way to do it. And a very pop popular collab with a lot of the streetwear artists, especially coming up is yeah. they want to get in the footwear. It's the largest growing category in apparel now. So how much does it cost to make custom shoes? And I know that's going to be variable, but I mean, cause you know, some of these, some of these, uh, well, you look at brands like Supreme and different stuff like that. They put their name on about anything that jacks up the price and you're paying 250 bucks for a pair of shoes, which is, I mean, for some people you're like, okay, but then some people are like, hell no. Um, at that one-off area, you're going to be in that 175 to 200 range. That's but, like making one. Now. Right. Yeah. That's one shoe specific to you, fully customizable. And again, these are, this is athleisure wear. It's not a lot of the footwear being designed is like the yoga pants being worn. Never used for yoga. It's a personal preference, style preference. That's more what athleisure wear in the shoe market's going for now. Not so much of specific products for working out. It's a style thing. So uh, these shoes that, I mean, are these just like blanks? Are they Nikes? Are they something different? Or we're like printing them before we cut and sew them. So we actually print whatever design the client wants on the shoe, and then we knit it, um, cut it and sew it to that. So it's not leather because we're we're printing on a polyester type 
finish to get the look we want. So, but with that, that's not a, so certain, some promo material, like I have some full scale shirts that are just Adidas shirts and then they have our brand stitched on them. No, this is actually a shoe we developed. It took about two years. Um, we tried a million different soles from all the different brands and then highlighted the things we liked and actually developed our own shoe for this. And is it one flavor or then customized or are there different types? No, I've got six different styles, kind of like a van style, a Chuck style, Nike Adidas style. Um, and we're continuing to develop more to bring out on those lines. So can I pick my own colorway? Oh yeah. And then put whatever I want. We can actually put a picture on the shoe. So if you yeah, want your so, face yeah. on there, we can actually put a full photograph on the shoe. I don't know how about how I feel about putting my <laughs> face on a shoe. I try to keep my face away from shoes for a lot of different reasons, but um, you know, I mean, I think that's pretty cool. So now shoes are tough though. Do you, because you know, one of the, so I have a um, friend here in town, Maurice Woodard, who owns Champ? You know, do you know Champ? I'm familiar. So he makes gold shoes, and I like gold shoes, <laughs> but he, but I can't buy them because he doesn't make it. He doesn't make things above uh, twelve, and I wear thirteen. Um. So, and the reason why, and I, I didn't realize this. It's a different mold. It's a different like a I don't know, something. Yeah, and it's. I mean, it's pretty expensive. You know, I asked him. I said, because he keeps wanting me to, you know, like do something, and I'm like, dude, I, I, I can't wear them. I can't push them. Right. And he's very true. There's a, a mold sizing for each size shoe. They've got an upper vamp that's all measured for that shoe. So each time you change size, there's got to be new mold, new upper vamp. And it's a whole new process. Obviously, not too many 14s in the world. So yeah. most people stay in that, you know, 9 to 12, 9 to 13. Do you, do you have a 13? We have a 13. Thank you. <laughs> it's it's amazing how many how many don't. Um, I also realized that the 12 and a half and the 13 and a half are like the two rarest sizes of shoe. Definitely. Like some people just don't make them. Um, and most, and of by the way, if you wear a 13 and a half, you should be able to go either way on a 13 <laughs> or a 14. But in most of the world producing the shoes, a 13 is you're like Bigfoot. In yeah. China, so <laughs> yeah. When I go to the Philippines, there's a near our office, there's this mega mall and, I decided, you know, one afternoon to go in and check it out. And I was going to all these different shoe stores and I was like, you know what I want to, I like things that are just different, you know, something that I could, and I found a, a pair of Adidas and I was like, oh man, there's no way anybody has these in the United <laughs> States. And I said, I want these. And they're like, uh, they were like, no, nothing above 11. Right. I was like, are you serious? So yeah, I've given up on shoe shopping in <laughs> Asia. It's uh it's a, so now with that, um, one of the things that is a challenge is so are uh, you'll hear the term anytime there's a, apparel or shoes, are they true? Are they true to size? Um, just like any other Nike or Adidas you wear, especially you being a sneakerhead, if you try a 13 and four different Nikes, that 13 does not fit across the the same one yeah. might fit really well. Same with our shoes. Um, very true to sizing, maybe a half size small is what we've been telling people. Yeah. Cause the reason I ask is, you know, like I said, the Yeezy is a very popular shoe, but it's very well known for being small. I so I, so, you know, you have to, I, I have to order those in a 14 Yep. and yep. I can only think of how many people have, have ordered those in their size and then, and not knowing, 
And then, I mean, and it really is like, I feel a difference. Like I can't wear a 13. I'm with you. Um, on, on the promotional product side, it's a little easier for us because we can, they'll do enough volume. We'll do sizing events for them. Sure. Or we'll send out that type of shoe, maybe not in their design, but that style that they're going to order, send out enough, you know, six through 14 to see so they can try them on and we can be accurate. with. Them. Yeah. I was going to say, cause if you make the promotional products and then they come in and they're all like off. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's a tough, bad. yeah, that would be really bad. Cause it's kind of hard to undo them. Right. So that's why we, you know, on the bigger clients, we'll do sizing events where we actually will go out there with the full range of sizes and bring them through with another vendor. We did it with like Maui gym sunglasses last time. Okay. So, Kind of turning a negative into a positive. Let's so, so you literally saw you, you will, when you say a sizing event, you're like, here we are, or you send the shoes out or you do something and you let them try them on and Absolutely. then they can pick. Absolutely. And they're getting that exact same shoe back to them. It just is going to be their logo and design on the outside. So in the, at that point, that kind of, that kind of kills the surprise element of it though. But they're not seeing the design they're getting. Oh, I see. I see. And people, people would rather have their size right and not be as surprised I than I would. get the 13s that are too tight and you're wandering around the show and everybody else is happy in their Yeezys and yeah, you're sure. odd man out. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's, it, you know, you, I, it, it would depend now, you know, so, but you're, com now you're competing with, so we talk about custom shoes, you know, uh, all the brands now, like Nike ID, I've designed my own shoes on there. Um, they do it. They do a decent job. Yeah. But that's more, but I your, can't put my logo. On. Right. That's yeah. more colorways. Yeah. And you yeah. like this combination. This is, you have a few that like have, have like Matt and Deco like stitched on the back or right. just something like that. And right. It was really like with those, it was more about an ability to kind of customize the colorways a little bit. And we see, we using the term colorway. That is just the, uh, the the industry term for you know the the color patterns and the overall design and and i think you're going to see the continued progression of what people are putting on shoes even with the big manufacturers the shoes are becoming more colorful sketchers has introduced a whole level of shoe that is basically a, a sock on a sole um and we we think we're a good fit for similar products along those lines. As yeah, well. and I think a lot better, you know, like the the Adidas Ultra Boost is like that, which honestly might be the most comfortable shoe I've ever worn. Right, yeah. what they're calling Flyknit now. Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah. Nike has a similar version, but so you know, with that, and you talk about comfort and and just so when the Ultra Boost uh, came out. It was so popular that like just general release Ultra Boost shoes were selling for a premium because Adidas couldn't even make them fast enough. Now, I don't know if that's the reason, but I feel like it has to have a lot to do with it. So during this period, and this was a few years ago, Adidas doubled its market share in the world market. And I don't know if that was just because of the Ultra Boost or some other things, but I mean, that's hard to do. Well, and but I think the shoe market is growing so fast. Yeah. Nobody would have thought a Skechers could come in and gain the market share sure. that they've gained in this place. But the whole athleisure wear started, like I said, with the yoga pants and has now moved to more guys are wearing the athleisure type shirts in the workplace. Yeah. Shoes is exploding in that arena. Yeah, sure. And, you know, go check it out. You can go to sock101.com. You showed me, I don't know, you, you also showed me a, 
a little prototype. You have like a sublime shoe. Yeah. Um, just maybe you just made that just to goof around. Highlight or something. the capabilities of what we can do. Yeah. And I mean, that was cool. I probably think I would have worn that shoe. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just fun and taking it in a new direction, especially in the promo world. So with uh, the, the, you mentioned how, how big was the whole promo? You said 82 or 22? $22 billion industry. $22 billion. So that means it's competitive. Very competitive. Um, when we started, we, the thing is to have a hit product in that industry or, or something nobody else is doing. And we did that when we first came in with knitted socks at that time. There was some die sub stuff out there. But we had an actual nice knitted crew sock that guys were willing to wear in the workplace. Um, no, there was some people doing vans, but it was colored after it was knitted. So and really not at the level. And nobody was really doing the adidas nike style athleisure wear shoe and that's where we feel like we've hit the home run with so it has building this business been about just building these recurring customers that are just kind of stacking new ones on and you know now you have rather than 80 corporate buyers you know there's 150 or 300 and is, is it more about the is it about new business or is it about building the 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 existing accounts you already have um I think our reorder business is good, but we've constantly got to be adding adding to the kitty um, for sure. Adding new clients is definitely our focus. We do a lot of trade shows to get out to meet these people, and that's where the majority of this is generated from. Yeah, that's what I was curious about because, you know, any business that you've got, it's like, okay, some people will go to Planet and you're trying to model it out. And you're like, okay, here's my cost of goods, and this is going to cost me $100, and I can sell it for 170 and they don't give enough consideration as to how hard it is in the cost of actually finding new business. Uh, and the promotional price was a little bit different. It was like, how do we go build a sales team to get into the Google's, mm -hmm. Facebooks, and startup hustles? Um, what we, <laughs> Thanks for putting us in there with Google. <laughs> I'm not sure that's warranted, but thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but what we found is generally most of those companies already had somebody that was providing their swag to them. Um, and we needed to get in front of them. So rather than build our sales group, we went out to these trade shows where these industry people gather to find these new products and services. And so we have a staff of 14,000 people out selling, you know, our socks that I didn't necessarily have to go out and hire. These people were already there. We just needed to introduce our products to them. And that, you know, the, the, that's an actual, that's an approach. And thanks for bringing that up because if you sell, there's a whole lot of, you know, brokers of sorts that want, I mean, that will bundle what you sell in with their line of stuff. And they're out there like, you know, sometimes here on the podcast, we don't have people in here today to play mixtape the game, but mixtape, like the actual card game is we license that to a games distributor and they go out to all these shows. And like, they were the ones that, that brokered a 50,000 unit order to target. Exactly. And you know. and you mentioned having 14,000 salespeople out there. I mean, these are, and these are results based relationships. Like they don't get paid unless they sell something in most cases. Correct. And they, and they might've already spent years fostering the relationship yeah. Yeah, with yeah. those people. So they have a quick in the door. Right. And, and, you know, if you're trying to get, whether it's a product or a service or a lot of different things out in the marketplace, what you mentioned, I mean, that is, uh, and, at full scale, that's something that we're at a bit of an inflection point as to whether we are better to have a network of resellers 
you know, and you talk about, I mean, there's a, there's a need for what we sell in every market and our ability to put a sales presence in every single market or keep up with all of it is daunting. Mm, it's a little, it's a, it's a little overwhelming. And then, you know, on the flip side, if we did have a sales presence in every market, um, we would have a whole separate challenge because we could really jack sales up to the point where we would, you know, you're thinking, you're thinking, oh, wow, if all of a sudden you had so much business that you didn't know what to do with it. Well, that's not really how it works because, you know, we deal with high level talent and that's not, I mean, there's X amount of that in the bucket, right? You can't really create new senior level talent. I mean, there's sure more people graduate into that class every year, but you know, like all of a sudden. So, so with this, this, um, presence of sales and distributorship that's greatly expanded. Have you had any moments where you run like with me you're in the manufacturing business? <clears throat> I mean, is that fair to say on some level? Correct. And the biggest problem with manufacturing is bottlenecks. Definitely. Um, we've <clears throat> since expanded to three different factories. We have India, China, and the U S because of those bottlenecks, you know, certain holidays in certain countries, could impact business. We've got to have a supply chain that doesn't stop or we have. Um, Are those your factories? No, we you partner. Yes. Sure. But that's, I mean, and that's something that's also unpredictable though, because, you know, that same factory could, they have relationships with other vendors Definitely. and you never know when someone else that, you know, it's uh, like, and I'm only able to use full scale as an example here. Cause I, not been in, a, in the business of, of selling things that were manufactured in a while, but you know, like we only let our developers work for one client at a time because if if they were splitting their time and one client's situation went really well, or if both clients did really well, then they'd be fighting over who gets which half of the baby. Definitely, it took and has continued to take time to develop that relationship. Now, with most of those factories, we're we're their biggest vendor or buyer of socks that doesn't hurt. and and that helps foster that relationship but yeah it took boots on the ground going to china um and that goes a long way that shaking the hands and meeting the people you're doing business with what we found is fostering that relationship mm -hmm. goes a long ways especially in china for us Sure. So, and that was the, you know, it kind of brings up the next point is, you know, there's obviously some very well disclosed, um, trade issues that are going back and forth. And, um, you know, so I used to work for Roland and a huge maker of electronic musical instruments. And, you know, you can, you, you, the Japanese company, they were very, uh, very well, um, versed at figuring out their supply chain. But the one thing that you couldn't, necessarily account for was how long something would sit at customs uh please don't say that word <laughs> yeah it, is that something that's been a challenge or it, a problem it's yeah we still feel like a pawn in this political trade game that's being you know when when the trade rhetoric rant, ratchets up things slow down in custom you know it's used as a negotiating tool by both sides um and when I say that, so let's just say you're making anything that comes from outside the United States. And so, you know, you, you may have a very strong ability to understand how long it's going to take to leave the factory floor, um, which in a lot of cases with foreign manufacturing, you don't. 
Um, and then it, and then it goes and now it's, and someone else now it's becoming an export of another country. So you are at the mercy that you can't guarantee how fast they're going to get that on the boat. And then it's going to ride on a boat hoping that it makes it on yeah. the other side of the boat. And it, and you, you say, Oh, you know, DeCourcy, are you like blowing this out of proportion? I am not. Occasionally those containers fall off the boat. Absolutely. A massive wave comes and shakes that boat up. Or we air a lot of our stuff in, but that still doesn't guarantee it doesn't sit in customs yeah. for three days. And yeah, so now it arrives in L.A. Right. And it's in this massive shipping yard. I mean, massive, like bigger than you can maybe even imagine. And it's in the container. And it's just sitting there in line. And your client's got a date that they needed that by. And you're, now you're sweating it. And you're going, oh, man. I'm yeah. supposed to have these in nine days and like you, and you can check and see where some of this stuff is and maybe it's going to make it, maybe it's not. So now you get to the point where you're going to open it. Now that's, that is in my opinion, just as terrifying as anything else. Cause you, how, how do you maintain a level of quality control? That was a big fear. And that's why we decided to make, take the step to go visit the factory, to set the mm -hmm. expectations to, to let them know the things that could be deal breakers, you know, not getting it out in the time you say, because it, we are a such a time driven business with people's events is usually what they're yeah. wanting swag for. So, well, they're wanting it for a trade show right. or We've like got but, to make it happen. Back to my experience with Roland, you know, they have one really big trade show. It's in January every year. It's called NAMM, N A M M. And I mean, this is a massive show. I'm not talking like a couple hundred thousand people attend this thing. It's a, a huge like our booth when i was there the very last year i was there was an acre that's a football <laughs> field people like and that was just one company and the thing is is like it like you said if you don't get that swag there on time uh i don't get another order yeah from uh yeah or possibly you might have some disputes about getting paid exactly and and rightfully so Definitely. you know it's, it, especially if it's oh man it's if it's something that's dated you know, the 2019 or whatever, like, forget about it. Right. And there's a lot of risk that goes in with, with manufacturing customs duties. Yeah. There's just some points where you have no control. And that's a scary thing as a, as a business person. When you went to China to, or is it just China now? China and India. So have you been to both places? Yes. So, um, as you, and did that improve? the quality or was that just like an awareness thing or was it just that you felt more comfortable um, meeting and having a relationship with the people that are making them? Um, all the above. It definitely helped improve the quality because we could go and show the expectations of what we want to just became much more valuable than through email. Um, and China showing us how their, their end of it worked allowed us some understanding on things we could do to, on our end to help improve the processes. Well, we're a couple, I'm just curious, what would one of those things have been? Um, the way the design files are submitted, mm. you know, making sure we had the right color coded, all that sort of thing mm -hmm. helped speed up the process that the language barrier through email may have prevented us from getting to that stage. It was expedited going over there and establishing that relationship. So are you talking like when I upload my logo and here's my PNG file and, 
And, you know, the Startup Hustle logo is like a specific shade of gold, but they don't have 10,000 different threads there to match it. Is it just like little Correct. goofy stuff like that? Right. And are we submitting it into – we were submitting it in a format, then they were reformatting. Okay, just let us know what format you needed it in yeah. originally. Let's cut out that extra step. And, and when you need to stop and call. Right. And say, hey, I'm about to make 3,000 of these. Um, Can I use this shade instead of this? Or I've got to cut this detail out because it's not knittable. You know, it's yeah. just too small. I've tried to order T-shirts before and, you know, like they'll – and, uh, you know, you order them and, and, uh, you know, I mean, maybe something like the startup hustle logo on it or something like that. And, you know, then the next day you get an email and they said, um, we can only do this on this particular t-shirt or that, or, um, how, <clears throat> how much, um, how much of your time and focus goes into that type of stuff? Um, my director of angle art and her team's the biggest department in the business. We, we promise to turn around all logos within a 24 hours. So you submit a logo, we'll shoot your sock or shoe mock-ups back within 24 hours. The director of ankle art. <laughs> Strong titles within the company. Have a good time with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, but no, that, I mean, for real, that's a, so you know, you, in order to scale your business. Um, so have you had to develop your own technology and like kind of build all that around, um, there was some things already out there because it's kind of like widgets. You know, if you sure. were selling T-shirts, you should be able to plug and play socks for the most part. Um, to design aspects, there were some challenges that we mm -hmm. had to develop, but not too bad. So overall, when you look back at the last six years, eight months, I mean, what's something when you look back at it now, you're like, man, that was a How do we ever think that would work? Mm -hmm. I would say the phone call of the 3000 socks, you know, how are we going to get this done? Um, and then running out after the first, we had ordered seven months of sock of the month club. Well, I had 12 people that hit their eighth month and I didn't have the product yet. Mm. Again, supply chain issue. Um, Sorry for those people that have got this, but I ran to Target. I was going to say, you almost need to like go down the street <laughs> and buy up all the socks, ran right? Ran to Target, got me some nice socks, retagged them for that. You know, yeah. again, a startup, do what you can, why you can, till you get to that point. So it, it's funny you mentioned that. So there's a, um, so I, the ticket business that I used to own, every year we would give a big donate. My um, brother-in-law works down and my sister work at a children's hospital. And they always have a big don a need for donations. And a lot of these kids come into the hospital and they don't have like the basic things like socks and hats and different stuff. So they were always at a shortage for that. So as the end of the year would approach, we would go to Target and I mean, buy about a thousand dollars worth of this stuff. So, you know, we'd get up and we'd have like three carts <laughs> filled with just like the, 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 the basic necessities and, you know, you talk about like how, I mean, you can definitely do it, but there were a, uh, one, one year we went down there and they were just like, really, and maybe I ended up there right after you did because <laughs> <laughs> there was like nothing there. And we were like, oh man. So we went back about a week later and you know, that had changed, but uh, yeah, sometimes you got to do what you got to do to get it done. So, well, it, you know, if you're on Instagram and you go to at Startup Hustle Podcast to follow us and check out some of the pictures that we've posted. Also, while you're there, uh, check out Sock 101 promo. And that's that's Kelly and Sock 101's Instagram page. You can also go to Sock101.com if you want to make some custom socks, shoes or 
socks, shoes, and a box, which I like that. Absolutely. I like that. Give I, us a shout. I feel some startup hustle shoes coming soon. I kind of wanted to, it's one of those things that I, I feel like I've, I've continually wanted to make and then I don't. We got to get the Michael Johnson gold shoes. That's what you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, well, go, it'd have to be gold or I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could, uh, uh, throw you know my my significant weight and i'm like rubbing my head and shaking <laughs> it and rolling my own eyes right now but no that's a it, it you know the funny thing is is i do get a lot i i own about 50 pairs of gold sneakers and uh and i consider that to be that's a world-class collection that i've put together over like four years but um i i, I will tell you it even with all of the like nike id and adidas and all that stuff I have a really hard time making ones that are gold and, and, you know, maybe that should tell me something about my own taste, <laughs> but, but sometimes I see popular shoes in there and, you know, I've kind of uh, not really been on my sneaker game this year. I ran out, ran out of places to put them. So when my wife says I have a sneaker problem, it's a problem figuring out where to put them. So, well, once again, if you get a chance, go check out uh, sock101.com while you're there. Make some cool shoes. Maybe make some shoes with Matt Watson on them. I've been trying to get someone to send in some fan art here to the full scale <laughs> office. And and for those of you that have been sending in uh, great stuff, uh, I do want to thank you again. We get recently got a delivery of Snow Pops. Um, we had some uh, the Lumi band, Lumi Funk band, sent some T-shirts and sent some other stuff. Um, TRG Homes, if you're out there, thank you for the beautiful shirt that says Closer across the front. I will wear that with pride. Um, I'm looking forward to going to sock101.com and, and placing an order. If that's all right with you, Kelly, I think that's what I'm going to get on to doing now. Absolutely. Matt, thanks for having us out today. Yeah, thanks. I, I look forward to the new Startup Hustle line of shoes. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCarsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.